Well, I was given a uh, task by Matt. He opened a new series last week, um, Marriage and Family Matters, God's Blueprint for Building a Godly Home. And that's a huge, wide subject. It's, it's encompassing so many pieces. But he gave me a piece today um, to speak about what is God's design and purpose for marriage and children. And as I struggled and as I went through it and I, I searched the scriptures, he gave me a number of them to start with. And that's where we're at. Um, I really thought, I want to, to find the action step. I, I want to find, okay, what do I do that marriage and family is successful? And through the series, I think we need to start with something bigger. We need to find the purpose. We need to find the design. Because if we have an item in our hand and we don't know what it is used for, we can guess and question and try and kind of like the child's thing with all the different shapes and they're putting them in the holes. But if we don't even know the purpose, we won't know where to start. So last week, Matt uh, asked us four questions I thought were really good. Do we believe the Bible is God's word? And all good Christians said, yes, right? Do we believe the Bible is true in all that it addresses? Not changing your oil, all right? Is it true in all that it speaks to? Yes. Are we willing to submit to biblical instructions? Yes. <laughs> right? Will we commit to obey those instructions when we find out what they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that an emphatic yes? Yes, but but the answer is yes. And Lord, it will be hard. And it might be a challenge. Because what I'm dealing with is me. I was born with me, and I live in me, and, and Lord, yeah, may I obey you. Um, I had a couple of questions concerning what we're speaking of. Now, you might see me put some pages back here. I don't type very often. I, I write hand big. So I've got a number of them, but let's get at it. I asked some questions myself concerning this topic. Does God have a purpose for marriage and families? I mean, and that's a question we need to find. I mean, is it just male and female come together and... No, I think it's bigger than just a natural thing. What is God's purpose then for marriage and for family, children? We need to come across that. If we don't know the purpose, there's no way we're going to fulfill it. And the third one is, how are we going to live to fill that purpose? Um, and that will come throughout the series as well. More and more tangible and more and more action steps. But today, we're looking at the grand design from a high view. You know, I did a, a quick Google search. I added this yesterday. 
you know, Google's, you know, don't find your theology on Google. You need to go to your word, the word of God. But I did a quick Google search. In 1970, 76.5% of adults were married. In 2020, 31.1. Significant drop. Children in 1970, for every woman, um, there were 2.5 children. In, in 2020, 1.6. Significant drop. Divorce rates in America in 1970, actually, it's pretty consistent. Right around 50% in the 70s, right around 50% today. So the world probably does not have good advice for us on marriage and family. Matter of fact, we're finding in society that there is a less importance on marriage. There's less importance on having children. And so we can't go to culture or the world to find the purpose of marriage. In America today, in the church today, those I, I think those trends continue. We would like to think that because we're, we're born-again Christians that, you know, our mind has been completely redeemed and we're thinking new and different and just God's thoughts flow right through us. But we are still influenced by this world we grew up in, in this culture that's all around us. And I think we need to have our mind transformed, not be conformed to this world. We need to see what does God say. I think the church, the church has a lot to, to, to know about what God wants. I, I think the divorce, I think the children, and I think the marriages reflect that we've allowed culture too much to influence what we believe about marriage and family. I believe that... Uh, the purpose for marriage and family that we might be devoted to Christ that we might live our lives to reflect him and then we might show him to this world to glorify him above all else it is a challenge that is much larger than you and I and our happiness that my, I might have comfort, that I might have joy, that I might have... Those thoughts are all about me and mine. The purpose for marriage is outside of us. I want to, uh, before we turn in the scripture, if you've got, got your Bible, you can begin. And we don't need to put it on the board yet, but we're going to start in Genesis 2. So if you've got your Bible, you can begin to turn there. But before we do, in this teaching, there's going to be a lot of challenges. And in this teaching, there may be some things that bring an emotion to you. Because this world is, is broken. We are not completely restored and redeemed to Christ yet. It's a process of sanctification. We're growing. But I know that some of us concerning children, there are natural obstacles. 
And there are hearts that are crying, oh Lord. So I don't want this to be a condemning thing at all. But may it become our prayer. I I know that there's marriages that have struggled. And I, I know that some of us may have struggles currently. I know that there may be marriages in past that maybe have been dissolved. And and I don't want this message to be condemning, that you'd walk away saying, I can't fulfill God's purpose or plan because that. I, I can't because maybe children, I can't. I, yeah, my wife, we had five children. My brother, he wasn't able to have any. And they adopted. I know we all come from different places. So let this be, become a cry of our heart in a prayer to the Lord. Let it not be something that we walk away here saying, I failed and it's over. We look to God's mercy and grace. May we continue to draw ever closer to Him. Let's look at the Genesis 2 passage, verse 18. We're going to start there. We're going to jump into verse 20, the second half, and we're going to go through 24. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. To verse 20 it says, Part B. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and when he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. Then the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said at last, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If, if you have your scriptures open, let's look at verse 18 there. I have a question for us. Who saw that it was not good that man was alone? God. It was not Adam that discovered, I need something more. Adam was created. He was brought into a world complete. The world complete, finished, furnished for him. He had duties. If we look back in verse 15, he was told to tend and keep the garden. He was to he gave name to all of the animals. And he walked and he fellowshiped with God daily. But God, God being good, God being benevolent, God wanting to go above and beyond for this man, Adam, that he created, he saw that it wasn't good. I will make for him a help me, suitable. I read uh, a commentary, a commentator, 
and, and it's of old, so think of this. But he said that Adam was made from dust. God took the dirt and he refined it and he made man. But for woman, he took the refined dust and he refined it again. Adam refined dirt. Woman refined Adam. If if man was the the head of creation, then woman was the crown. She was crafted specifically and more detailed. And, and she was created to be a blessing for him. Eve was not created in the garden due to lack or emptiness. Eve was a blessing. If we look at verse 22. And God, having taken from the man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. God brought Eve to Adam. We need to think of our wives as a gift given to us from God. Um, God did not create four women or female versions of man and say, Adam, pick one. I mean, that's kind of our, our, our thought in the way we go. I mean, young people and teenagers and high school and college and our mindset is of all the available options, I am going to select one. But I would challenge us that our thought process should be, God, which one have you created for me? Because this is what we see in the Garden of Eden. It was not Adam's wisdom and selective choice. It was God giving Eve. If we look at verse 24, Adam, and this is written by Moses, and we, we need to think of this at some point. Moses wrote the book of Genesis as they were leaving slavery in Egypt and going to the promised land. And, and, and as they were wandering in the wilderness and as they were coming close, I'm, God said, this is who you are. When you're entering this promised land, I want you to understand and know this. And he starts in creation. And, and these are things we need to know. This is what I need you to know as you're entering into the promises. In, in, in being Christians, we're being brought, we have been purchased or bought out of this world and into a new creation, a new life, I should say. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We are being brought into a promise that God wants and has for us. And so very similar, the Israelite people 
wandering in the desert and coming to the Jordan River and saying, that's the promised land, now focus. Um, In verse 24, this was a prophecy. Adam didn't know what a father or a mother was. But he presents for us, he presents for the Israelites that for marriage, for the commitment to your spouse, because God created marriage right here, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A, a union, not a, a legal document, but truly a union that two people become of one heart and one purpose and they become one. I I made notes and I threw them out, but it's really interesting that he takes Adam and he takes of Adam he makes a second and then of those two he brings them back into one. Very interesting. A union created by God, enduring forever. In today's world, we're going to try it. We're going to see how it works out. And, And the thing is, if it doesn't work, well, then we'll go from there. But in God's plan and purpose and design, the union was forever a helpmate suitable. Could God have remained, excuse me, could Adam have remained in the garden, in fellowship with God, doing his tasks? There was no death. There was no infirmities. There were no sicknesses. He had God to walk and talk with all and every day. Could he have remained that way? And I would put forward he could have. And it would have been good. But you know what? God said it can be better. He is a benevolent and gracious God. Adam could have sung the song, In his presence is fullness of joy. There is nothing, there is no one who compares with you. Adam could have said, I take pleasure in worshiping you, Lord. And God would have received the glory. Adam would have enjoyed the presence. But God said, I want something more for you. And he created Eve a blessing. A wife is a gift. God knows what we need and God is in control. Young people, if you're not married yet, God knows what you're going to need. God knows what you're going to face. And God knows how you need to be challenged to be more like him. God is good, and he has designed the relationship of husband and wife that we might grow and be more like him. Principle number one, God made or purposed marriage, one man and one woman to be in union forever. A woman gifted to man by God, a woman received by man from God, a woman cherished by man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Do we receive our wives as gifts from the Lord? 
Man, this is a challenge. It's for us right now. Do we receive our wives as gifts from the Lord? Or was she someone that you picked and and, in your failures and faults, well, maybe I didn't do quite right. Maybe, Maybe it wasn't the best choice. No. Receive her. Because God is bigger than we are and he purposes and plans everything. And in that marriage, he was in control. God married them, and he became, they became one. They were suitable for one another in every way. We can see the benevolence, the mercies, the grace of God, and the love for his creation for each one of us. Um, Ephesians 3.19, kind of thinking about this as well the benevolent goodnesses of God, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God, to him who is able to do far more than we ask or think. It's above our thought and comprehension. But God made marriage, and God placed your wife with you to become one. Marriage is not a common thing as this world. You know, we, we, it's a document. You go to the justice of peace. You go to your church. Marriage, oneness, is a miracle of God. He takes two individual people with, with past histories and upbringings, different visions for the future, and he brings them together, and he says, now you are one, and go forward in my purpose. I have to add here a woe. Woe to us. Seeing the goodness of God. Do we see how fornication and adultery is just a slap in the face of God who gave us this blessing? And we refuse it. And we seek for something that is less. God designed marriage. And God knows what we need. Now stay there. And if you're not married yet, then wait. Because it it is not trial and error and find the one. It's listen to God's voice. He's got a gift for you. Now take her and receive her and cherish her. This is a challenge and a woe to our world. Marriage will not work if you just experiment again and again and again. Your relationship with your wife will not work if you don't follow God's plans and purposes. It's an insult to Him. And we might be. You may find yourself in trial or test or temptation now. I understand there's red blood flowing through our veins. But guys, do we want to follow and obey God? Follow Him. Woe, woe to you when you refuse the gift and instruction that God has for us. 
I want to I want to go to Genesis. Just just don't even maybe turn your page. Genesis chapter one verse twenty eight. It's we see in Genesis in in chapter one and two the same event being described to us. It's kind of like a camera angle in a in a football or basketball game. And, and you have to kind of find out if this happened or didn't happen. And, and they go to a different angle and they rewind. And sometimes they go in slow motion and fast motion. And did the person hit the ball? That's what Genesis 1 and 2 is like. In Genesis 1, the creation story of Adam and Eve, very short. One verse. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. He created man, verse before, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man and woman, both fully bearing the image of God. Many times we think man is the image of God and female is, you know. I mean, we refer to God as he. Woman fully bears the image of God on this earth as all as well. And God blessed them. Again, we see this benevolent God doing something. He blessed them and he gave them a charge. Now I want to look at this and I'm gonna this is where I kind of draw what we find for design and purpose. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the animals. This was the commission that they were gone, that they were given to be done together. The Genesis 2 passage gave us they were united in their union. The Genesis 1 passage gives us they're united in their purpose. Take my blessing. Take my fellowship. Take your union and expand the garden. If you read and if you different books and, you know, they talk about the cultural mandate that we are to take God to this world. I've thought of it as well as expand the garden. Adam and Eve... You are here, and now you're managing together. But expand it. In this, there definitely is a charge to have children. Multiply and fill the earth. And as you're having children, and and when you live to be Adam and Eve forever... But as we look in the further Genesis area, they live from six and seven and eight and nine hundred years. And I mean, you're filling the earth pretty quick because you're 70 and your kids are having kids and their kids are having kids. And by the time you hit 300, how many generations are already happening and they're filling the earth? So they had to expand, go into this world, take my purpose for you take my fellowship with you and spread it out across this entire world. I had a real good phrase, but I lost it. To the ends of the earth till the end of time. 
make people of God, expand the place of God, and spread the presence of God. The charge placed upon Adam and Eve. Make people of God. Have children, and may they know me because you know me. That they might walk in fellowship with me in the garden. The original design. Expand the place of God. And then you think of conquering. Well, go there. And those who don't know me, show show me to them. And spread the presence of God. We, conform to His image, show who He is to a lost world. This is a call on husbands and wives. Think of the pre-garden, pre-fall garden. We know sin entered this world. The devil, he was crafty. It was utopia. There was no sickness. There was no death. No separation. There was no tragedies. There was purpose. There was true union of the two. There was joy in God's fellowship daily. This setting has changed for us. Sin did enter the world. But the purpose has not changed. Be fruitful and multiply. God says, flourish like a plant that is fruitful. It, it may be a uh, flower. Flourish. Grow. Show my beauty. Where you are planted and with whom you are planted. Flourish. Multiply and increase. Have children and model the union that you have with your spouse before your children that that they might see and they might walk in that. This is a challenge. We have not been completely saved yet. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We are right now being saved in the presence of sin. And one day we'll be saved from the power of sin. But right now we have a challenge before us. Because how do we do this? How do we model this? How do we show the world this? when there's so much of us still left in us. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the scripture says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. There is hope. We can operate in union as it was purposed in the garden. Will there be challenges in your marriage? Yeah. Are there things you're going to have to work out? Yeah. Is there sin that you see that you're going to have to confess and repent of? Yeah. Have you done everything perfect before your kids? No. But there is hope. In this world, as you walk, do we reflect Christ perfectly? No. 
But all old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. This is before us, and it is something that God says, draw close to me. Of me, I can give you the ability to do this. You can reflect me in this world. You can model your relationship with each other before your children, that they might have that relationship and that you might have unity with your spouse. Expand God's visible presence in this world. I would put forward that marriage and family is to reveal God's presence in this world. To reveal His glory. We point to Him. It's not about us. Our focus in marriage is to know Him and to make Him known. Everything on this world is trying to get us to think about us. Everything in this world is geared toward our ease and our comfort and our pleasure. And we even look at the sin, Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve was presented with something more and better, and and Adam looked for comfort and ease. I'm I'm not going to jump in the middle. We'll see how it works out. And Eve was promised something more. We consume it upon our fleshes. In the garden we see the devil luring Adam and Eve's devoted heart to the Lord to lesser things. If Satan can begin to put separation between us and God, then separation will be the result in our marriage and in our families. He has to bring us and take us away from the Lord before He can destroy us. Let's look at uh, some different examples in the Bible. There are patterns for us to learn and see. God's grand plan is that we might know Him in relationship, His committed love to us, and we might make Him known to this world. Our devotion to Him is evident. If Satan can divide our hearts from the Lord, he can divide our hearts from each other. How does, separ- how does Satan bring separation? He offers us lesser things. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to uh, Deuteronomy 7. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Again, Moses wrote this book recorded this book, inspired by God. We're going to start in verse uh, 1 and read just a portion of it. There's a whole lot of names in there we're going to skip over. Now we're going to go through 2 through 4. Verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and he clears away many nations before you. Now think of this, they're entering the promised land. 
you and I in relationship with God, there are promises that are true that he has given to his people. His promises are yes and amen. We're kind of on a parallel path with Israel returning to the promised land. When your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and he clears away many nations before you, let's skip down to the middle of two. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Why? For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Beginning at verse 3, it's not only sons and daughters. He said, you, my chosen people, you, the one that I've purchased and redeemed, you, the one that I've called out of Egypt, you, the one I've called out of sin, you are a peculiar person. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. When you go and you operate in this promised land of forgiveness and grace, don't find a spouse for yourself that is of the ungodly nations. He gives this direction to Israel. He gives this direction to us. You want life to go well? Find someone that loves me and join with them. And then he says also, don't give your daughters to their sons and don't take their sons for your daughters. Why? Because they will lead your heart away from me. They would turn you away from serving me to serving other gods. Verse 4, hearts turning from God, turning to false gods. Do not choose the lesser thing. God is the answer. God is the prize. Remember, if Satan can bring division between God and his people, idolatry, magnifying things that don't have importance and worth like our Lord. If he can cause division between his people and his God, he can cause division in the marriages and he can cause broken and division in the children. Let us see this as a calling. May we be devout to the Lord. May we may we choose the things May we choose him of value, for he is great and greatly to be praised. And among him, and uh, alongside of him, there is nothing else that we should desire. In God's love for his people and his desire that they walk in blessing, that we flourish. He gave us instructions. A heart devoted will become a heart divided when we go after the lesser of things. A marriage and a family 
will be challenged. A marriage and a family will not experience the blessing of God if we go after the lesser things. Divided hearts is what causes marriages and families to struggle and stumble. Let's turn in our scriptures to the third of four. Actually, the fourth of four. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 14. Instructions that we might walk in blessing. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with the unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make... Now guys, as we go into this part, think of the garden. Think of the original plan and purpose. For God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk with them. That's the way it was. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from the middle of them and be separate, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And, you, and I will be a father to you and, and your sons and your daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. I believe in, that that cultural mandate that some professional preachers speak of is real. I believe to expand the garden is something before us as Christians. It was a call on Adam and Eve. It was, it's a call on us. Be separate. Have a heart devoted to me and not divided into lesser things. We are the sons and daughters of previous people who were devoted to God. Think of that. You and I are here today. You and I experience relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior because of others who were devoted to Him. We saw it. We witnessed it. They, 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 they showed us the salvation steps that we might confess and repent and turn to the Lord. Now let us be those separate people that we might model it before our sons and our daughters and before the world. Let's see and follow God's instructions for marriage and family. One, that we might walk in the blessing of God. Two, that we expand His image in this world. Three, that we might devote ourselves to him, not to lesser things. These are instructions. These are steps. This, this is a, a high view 
of the design and purpose for marriage and family. That we might draw close to Him. And that we might show Him to everyone around us. I asked three different questions. Does God have purpose for marriage and families? Yes. What is God's purpose? That we might show Him to the world. That we might be a peculiar people called out. What would our marriages today look like if our hearts were not divided? What if if we weren't placing importance on lesser things? Career, pleasures, campers, image. If our hearts were devoted to Him instead of divided amongst lesser things, what would our marriages look like? What would the lives of our children look like if we lived devoted to God and not devoted to lesser things? What would our church and community look like? If concerning marriage and family, we were first devoted to Him and not divided amongst the things that Satan would distract us with. Ease, comfort, or an alternative way. Let us remain devoted to Him. Do we desire God's blessing in our marriages? Yes. Do we desire God's blessings on our marriages and family? Yes. Do we desire that God is seen in this world and in our children, to our children? Yes. Then let's follow hard after him. Let's forsake the lesser things. May our heart not be divided. May our heart be devoted. Challenge, purpose, design, a people. devoted to me that they might reflect me in all they do and that a lost world might see that God's real.